0: Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership.
1: We're all familiar with the shortages of PPE triggered by COVID-19. The pandemic has taught many harsh lessons. One of those lessons relates to the vulnerability of certain aspects of healthcare supply chains. With a tip of the hat to Thomas Friedman, we have seen how flat our world has become. Today, we will be discussing supply chain risks and how to best mitigate those risks. A hurricane in the Caribbean or a factory fire in India can start a cascade of events which impact your healthcare system. Bindia Valkil of Resolin will help us assemble a framework to better stabilize procurement of necessary goods. Physician leaders must practice in a global marketplace. Today, we will take a deep dive into supply chains. Let's get to it. My guest today is Vindia Valkil. Ms. Valkil is the CEO and founder of Resilink, she is a nationally recognized expert in the field of supply chain risk management. Ms. Valkil earned a master's degree in supply chain management from MIT and holds an MBA. She is a frequent national speaker on supply chain resiliency. Her concept of design for resiliency has become an industry standard. I'm pleased to welcome Vindya Valkil to Sound Practice.
2: Thank you for having me
1: thank you so much for being with us today. Could you give us an overview of supply chain for healthcare products, kind of a 30,000 foot view at this time? I know we've had so much with the the coronavirus and COVID-19. And for purposes of our audience, we are speaking today in early May. Yeah,
2: supply chain um, right now is in a state of Turbulence, I would say. Um, If COVID created that initial set of turbulence in the waters, then the water never had a chance to settle. Um, Here's why. We had, in addition to COVID and all the imbalances that happened overnight in certain products demand got wiped out overnight in certain products demand shot through the roof and that created a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the different layers of the supply chain suppliers were getting extreme demand upside signals from some some customers extreme demand uh dropping from others and so we're in that current state, that that, uh, that has not settled yet, number one. Number two, on top of that, we had a record fire season in California, record hurricane season last year. You know, one of the things Resolink does is we alert our customers anytime anything happens worldwide, it could be 50 different ways supply chains could be disrupted and we saw um, a record number of factory fires last year, uh, exponentially increasing cyber attacks. So it's just this one thing after another, we simply have not seen the waters have a chance to settle. And then on top of that, um, this year we had the Texas freeze, container shortages, the Suez Canal, right? So all of that we are now seeing semiconductors are short supply, you know, plastics that are in short supply. Now, how does this affect the healthcare product supply chain? Well, healthcare uses everything, right? You're using everything from foam to chlorine, to um, plastics, to resins, to polymers, to semiconductors. That's a very complex supply chain. So um, we see, plus, you know, The other thing that's complicating things further in healthcare right now is what's going on in India um, with uh, the surge in COVID cases um, and no end in sight, at least as we speak, right? It's still surging. So it's supposed to peak at the end of May. There's a chance certain regions go into stricter and stricter lockdowns. Why is this important? Well, India is the, as we all know, center of the world as it comes to pharmaceutical manufacturing and APIs and a lot of drugs we rely on come from there. Um, And so this acute shortage of oxygen, oxygen has many applications in many different products. And so all that diversion, all of that um, is creating a lot of continued turbulence.
1: So it's going to be an interesting six months. That's uh, That may be an understatement. <laughs> in, in your most recent Harvard Business Review article, the latest supply chain disruption plastics, you discuss that this disruption has been a long time in coming. Can you expand upon that?
2: Yeah, you know, this is very interesting um in supply chain and procurement roles within companies or healthcare organizations. You know, we focus a lot of our effort on things that are very expensive. And generally plastics don't make the cut. We sort of think of these as, you know, they're always going to be available or they're the inexpensive things of uh, in the products we buy in the grand scheme of things. Um, Now, on top of that, last year, um, now the plastic supply chain is interesting, just like the semiconductor supply chain, you know, there are a few key players that have a very large market, uh, market share, and those are sort of buried in the layers of the supply chain, meaning three tiers deep. You will see these six players, no matter who is involved. And so this becomes an interesting situation. Now, last year, Hurricane Laura happened. Um, a handful of petrochemical facilities around Lake Charles um, shut down overnight. Now, already, you know, COVID had happened and people were using up their inventories and so already you had that situation on top of that with like a hurricane season being so strong, then COVID caused factories not to be able to resume capacity because we were we were social distancing we weren't producing our normal capacity and then we had um, force majeure coming from different suppliers and things like that, and then we had the Texas freeze. Texas is very critical to that supply chain because about 60 to 70 critical chemicals, chemical products and um, uh, source materials come from factories that are in Texas. And so overnight after the Texas freeze, multiple other companies declared force majeure. So I think just this supply chain is not right now um, so incredibly disrupted, and and plastics are ubiquitous. You know we use them in everything. Um, they um, you could be a, a food company, you have plastics in your packaging. You know your labels. There are so many things that are day to day, and you cannot ship anything if a little thing is missing, right? Um, and so it's um, it's an interesting situation. I think the next, again, the next four to six months are going to be very critical.
1: Are there common bottlenecks that you see in the supply chain management for healthcare?
2: You know, healthcare is this very interesting industry vertical because... You you buy so many and such diverse things, everything from medical and surgical pads, which have fibers and super absorbent polymers in there, to you're buying ambulances, which are automobiles, to medical devices, which are semi-high-tech devices. Um, And then you're buying furniture and fabrics. and I mean, it's just such an incredibly complex um, supply chain. So yes, that the, the industry inherits all of the single points of failure in all of those supply chains. Um, the other thing that is very interesting in healthcare, it's that the healthcare providers generally don't do their own procurement. They use group purchasing organizations that combine the demand and the usage across many, many hospitals to place big contracts and negotiate pricing in a joint fashion to keep costs down, which is a necessary role in the vertical. But what happens as a result is now you have an artificial layer between yourself and your supplier. So now you often don't know the stuff you buy. Where is it actually made? You may not be have um, maintaining an ongoing dialogue with your key suppliers because you're so reliant on a third party, whether it's a GPO or a distributor that you're buying from. And so when something happens halfway around the world, like Wuhan shuts down or an evacuation is announced in two cities in Vietnam or something, healthcare organizations are caught off guard because they don't know which of their suppliers are supplying something from there.
1: That makes sense. how can a healthcare executive forecast short-term demand in their in their industry?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the demand forecasting is obviously, you know, driven by the usage on an ongoing basis, the trends on the healthcare side, you know, seasonality of different types of um, uh, health situations and so on and so forth. I think what I'm talking about is a lot more the supply side, you know? Are suppliers going to be able to ramp up and scale up if demand is going up or down? Is the supply chain geared to support that movement? Because it's when supply chain cannot scale. And last year we saw that, you know, PPE, right? Not the most expensive thing, but definitely very high impact. Um, If you can't get PPE, you can't accept patients, you can't see patients. So in terms of impact to your ability to provide services, it is one of the most important products that a healthcare organization might buy. So similarly, I think how do healthcare executives really understand or redefine what is critical? I think that is by clinical outcomes, right? Understanding what is the impact to patients um, if we lose the supply of certain materials and then quantifying that and anything that affects patient life, patient ability to get care, um, this is very critical, regardless of what the spend looks like, you know? So I think that's kind of that shift in thinking of what is defined as critical that needs to happen.
1: So what about monitoring suppliers? Do you have any tips or best practices for healthcare executives?
2: Absolutely. And I think this is such a basic thing when I say it, you're going to wonder why is this a problem? (laughs) But as I said, you know, a lot of times we, aren't um, talking to, we don't really know who is in our supply chain. And let me give you an example. If you're buying something from a distributor or you're negotiating something through a GPO, um, you might have um, the name of the supplier, um, but you don't know where the supplier does the manufacturing, right? So the GPOs um, might direct a certain amount of demand to distributors. Now there might be 30 sites that are there nationwide for the distributors' warehouses. But those 30 sites are buying from 1,500 supplier sites worldwide. And you have no visibility to where those 1,300 sites are, what countries, which products come from those sites. Who owns that site? Is it owned by one of the manufacturers? Is it owned by a third party supplier? Was that supplier cited last month for pollution or labor violations or bad quality practices in their local region or country? You don't know any of this, right? Because all you know is I buy this from this distributor. So when we talk about monitoring suppliers, um, it's not just enough to know who the supplier is that makes this product. Um, and knowing their corporate office address. You actually have to know the sites that are involved in that supplier supply chain that actually make these products. And, you know, we know this. Suppliers will sometimes have 10 sites, 15 sites. Some of these might not even be owned by them. They might be owned by third parties. So we need to do that intelligence, that diligence about the suppliers. And then secondly, monitor those regions. Factory fires, we picked up a 1,000 factory fires last year, A <laughs> 1,000. So knowing when a factory fire happens within minutes or hours means you're ahead in line compared to everybody else that's also vying for the available inventory and capacity. So know where the suppliers are situated, where their factories are, what's made there, and then continuously monitor those sites and those regions for disruptions, earthquakes, hurricanes, labor strikes, port strikes, transportation issues, delays, et cetera.
1: (laughs) And And this is what your firm does, correct?
2: That's exactly right. So when I started ResLink, that was the problem statement. We said that, you know, it's really always that these parts bring us to our knees because we didn't have visibility to, hey, this event happened, but I didn't know my supplier bought that or my supplier was located there. And so if we can just give our customers an easy, simple way to collect, maintain and keep that data updated, then a lot of these supply chain day-to-day disruptions could be easily predicted and carefully managed before they became a big issue.
1: Is there a scale or numeric uh, categorization in supply chain to to risk?
2: Absolutely. So there are two things we we use to measure risk. One is the impact to business or impact to customers, in this case, patients, right? So what is the impact? Like I said, what are those clinical outcomes that are critical that might not be, Achieved because this product is not available. So, understanding that is number one. And number two, then, is the vulnerability assessment. You know, what is likely to go wrong? Now, this is definitely quantifiable because simple things, you know, is the supplier resilient, financially healthy, right? That's number one. Um, Do we know if we knew where the supplier's factories are? Is it an earthquake zone? Is it a hurricane zone? Is it a natural disaster zone? You know, so understanding the risk profile, it's just a scale of one to 10, but identifying that. Third, um, if the supplier has a major problem at this site, how quickly will they recover, you know, in the supplier's own assessment? And I will tell you, 30% of suppliers will take as much as a year to recover. So this is really scary. Can you really afford your supply chain to go down by a whole year? Absolutely not. So, but knowing which suppliers feel like it would take them a year to resume full pre-disruption run rate is important because then you know that for those products you need to hold more inventory or you need a backup site and so on. So there are five or six things that are easy to measure that need the right amount of data, again, comes back to supplier location. And um, you know once you know the location, you can put these metrics together. And now it's just a simple, out of my 5,000 sites, which 20 are in earthquake zone? Which 30 are in hurricane region? Hurricane region is predictable. You know when season starts. So four weeks before hurricane season, move, certain amount of inventory out of regions. So there are things you can do if you have this visibility.
1: And you mentioned a vulnerability analysis, I think was the, is that is that the correct term? Can you tell me a little bit about how your firm helps people do that?
2: Yeah, that is the risk score that I talked about. So is it a financial vulnerability? Is it a location that is vulnerable? Is it a supplier business practice that is vulnerable? And, and, you know, understanding what is their continuity profile? Do they have a vulnerable recovery profile? So vulnerability is just the risk score, right? The risk score associated with financial health or their location risk score or their recovery risk score, or their sourcing profile. But these are all measurable ways in which to assess the risk and segment the suppliers by different types of risks so that you can appropriately design ways to protect the supply coming from an earthquake zone or supply coming from a hurricane zone to protect patient outcomes.
1: If a physician leader wanted to become more educated about supply chain management, how would you suggest that that he or she begin down that path?
2: Well, I would start with taking your chief procurement officer out to lunch, um, preferably once this pandemic has settled a little bit and things like lunch are possible. And just, you know, a conversation, just listening. Because I think it's really important, I think procurement and supply chains, um, that profession, has not been given its due importance, which is why in some respects we are where we are. What the procurement and supply chain was told, you're a cost center drive cost out, which is certainly important, but I think um, we all have seen that that is not the end all and we need to strike that balance. So starting with the people around us, um, there are a lot of online, um, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of really good books on supply chain. Yossi Shafi wrote The Resilient Enterprise, The Power of Resilience. So two or three of his books are amazing. Um, and then, um, you know, um, just Supply chain, um, Reslink publishes all the ongoing disruptions on our mobile app. So just keeping an eye on things that are going on right now, chlorines shortages and this these types of things, you know, the, the experts that are day-to-day using products should keep an eye on the short items that are in short supply because you never know when one of these is going to affect your ability to do your job, right? So just... Um, keeping an eye on the news as it relates to supply chain or or as you read news, like, you know, there was a um, truck driver shortage uh, related news a couple of days ago. Oh, really? So how does that affect supply chain, right? So just supply chain is in every news that we read every day. So just having that continuous dialogue internally of how is this going to affect our business or our ability to take care of our patients.
1: But it, it it seems to me that this is complex enough and dynamic enough that for a large operation, you would require third-party assistance. Would you agree?
2: Absolutely. Yes. I mean, again, the healthcare supply chain is vastly complex. The products you use are incredibly um, regulated. And regulated products mean you can't just switch a source tomorrow. You know, if you have um, qualified a supplier like Hurricane Maria, We had, I'll give you Hurricane Maria as a very good example. Right now, a lot of people are saying, we'll hold a lot of inventory, build warehouses and store and ditch JIT and all of this. But when when you look at Hurricane Maria, you see how inventory cannot be the panacea because um, supply chain, um, uh, pharmaceutical supply chain relies on inventory. There's inventory as much as one year worth of inventory in in those in those companies. Now, here's what happened with Hurricane Maria. It wiped out Puerto Rico, a lot of sites, but one in particular that made the plastic bags that are regulated. So companies had inventory of the fluid, IV fluid, but they couldn't ship it. Because they didn't have plastic bags to transport. So again, you know, um, really important to understand that supply chain touches a wide range of products in healthcare. Um, a lot of things are all interrelated and some things have very large and outsized impact, right? So. Pharma in, uh, and healthcare in particular, because it's such a regulated industry, it simply has a ton of complexity compared to others.
1: I I, I would agree. Any other tips that you would like to uh, share with our audience today as we, we close out this time together?
2: I will say that, you know, the world as we live in is, shaped by the supply chain you know it's powered by supply chains and it's supply chain that makes our life possible right it's the food we eat there's a supply chain behind it our pharma products there's a supply chain behind it nothing happens without the supply chain working and when the supply chain shuts down It has massive consequences what's really interesting also is that there is no such thing as a risk free world, meaning with all of our efforts with all of our. um, conniving and creative problem solving, we will not ever create a world in which supply chains are not disrupted in supply chain management normal is disrupted, the question is how can we craft the supply chain such that the critical in our healthcare world patient outcomes are not disrupted or protect or are protected? And how do we design supply chains that if they are stretched all over the world, then we have some backup capacity on shore or near shore? So the exciting thing about supply chain right here, May 2021, is that we are designing the supply chain of the future today, right? So where in the past we were executing on decisions that went in place 20 years ago, what COVID did was it really brought this conversation to the forefront. You know, how do we create that balance? where we're not completely driving cost and inventory out. We're creating that balanced supply chain. We're holding more inventory on some things. We're nearshoring or reshoring other things. We're bringing more monitoring and visibility on something else. And all of these strategies together build resilience in supply chains. right? And how do we prioritize which strategy goes where? And it's all driven by impact. So I think if there was one thing I would say to supply chain experts in the end, I would say work from patient outcomes, not from spend. (laughs) That would be my final thing.
1: Excellent advice. And we will end on that that somewhat optimistic uh, note of the future of of supply chain. My guest has been uh, Bindia Valkil, uh, the CEO and founder of Resolink. And thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you for having
1: me. I want to thank Bindia Valkil for her supply chain advice. Ms. Valkil's strategic and comprehensive approach to a crucial and complex issue is helpful. It is this level of thought and logistics which is necessary to deliver quality health care. I hope you found her comments as interesting and helpful as I did. Thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Join me next time on Sound Practice.
0: You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org.
1: Ripple Kapow.